So, have I told you I've been to Israel lately? I did. We went in March, right? But I'll get back to that here in a little bit. Um, 20 years ago when I went to Israel, we didn't get to do it this particular trip. We walked through Hezekiah's tunnel. So if you go to like 2 Kings 20, you read about how King Hezekiah, he, he through, had his, his guys make a, a tunnel through pure rock to protect the, the water supply of Jerusalem inside the, the city gates and uh, the city walls. And so he creates this, this water supply, fresh running water. And um, 20 years ago, we got to walk through it because of some political stuff. You can't walk through it today. But I remember walking through, and you're just, you know, there's about this much space, pure rock on each side, water flowing about a foot high at least, sometimes even higher. And you're walking through this, and we stopped about halfway. It's about a mile walk uphill. And we stopped about halfway, and we turned out all of our flashlights that we had. And it was pitch black. And so, um, you know kind of got claustrophobic all of a sudden when it was pitch black. And I thought, if something were to happen, I can't go to my right or left. Who am I running over? Like, if something were to happen here, like there's people in front of me and behind me, it was a bad feeling. Darkness, when it's pitch black, that's, that's not a good feeling. I remember as well, years ago, um, I was reading in the bathroom. You ever do that? I was reading in the bathroom, and uh, you know what I'm saying, right? TMI, but I was reading in the bathroom, and it, you know, we had just installed where I was at these, you know, sensor switches, so it detected motion, and so if there wasn't motion after like 10 minutes or so, <laughs> you're already getting where I'm going with this, there wasn't motion for like 10 minutes, uh, the lights would shut out, and I didn't really know that, that they had installed those, and all of a sudden that happened, the lights went out, and the OCD in me went, did I just go blind? Like, I really did. I thought, I just went blind. And no, I didn't go blind. I couldn't have gone blind. So anyway, got the lights back on. Feelings of darkness is bad. That sensation of not being able to see anything is tough. And it made me think as well, years ago, I got to baptize a guy who was born blind. He had never seen anything. And he got baptized, and he shared a little bit before he got baptized that he actually felt kind of blessed that he had never seen anything, and that the first thing and first person he would see when he died was Jesus. Wow, what a huge amount of faith that guy had. Today, we're going to talk about a story of a guy that was born blind from birth as well. Um, Scott Troutwine is going to help me teach some of the points this morning. Scott's a great teacher. He's part of our TND teaching team, and many of you are in he and Patty's home group, so he's going to help out as well this morning. So we're in this series called Signs that we started back on Easter, and we're going through the seven miracles of Jesus through the Gospel of John. Now, Jesus did way more than seven miracles, but there's this kind of chronological pattern of the miraculous signs of Jesus throughout the, the, the Gospel of John. We're actually in sign number six. There's a little typo there on our notes, but it's, it's the sixth sign, and next week we'll finish this. And the, the purpose of this series, I think, that God wanted us to learn 
was, you know, Jesus claimed to be the son of God, right? And when you claim to be the son of God, the Messiah, you better be able to back that up. And so these signs that Jesus did, these miraculous signs, walking on water, turning the water to wine, etc., the healings, they were really signs for his disciples, for the disciples to gain confidence in who he was. And ultimately, the sign of the resurrection, when Jesus said that he was going to die, be buried for three days, and then rise again, and he pulled that off, like, that is an amazing sign of what Jesus did. But Jesus wants you and I to have confidence in who he is. And you know, he says something at the end in John, at the end of John chapter 20, after Thomas is, is doubting, and Jesus appears to him, and he says, put your finger in my side, you know, handle me. And Thomas realizes that Jesus really rose from the grave because he saw him die, and now he sees him alive. And Jesus says, Thomas, you believe because you've seen me. He said, blessed are those who believe who have not seen me. And he, he had you and I in mind, that the disciples would go preach the gospel and then spread, and here we are today believing in the resurrected Jesus because of the message and the reality of what happened. And a sign points us in the right direction, right? You follow the signs to get to the right destination. So in John chapter 9, we're going to ask two questions throughout our teaching this morning that will help us be able to see, spiritually speaking. The two questions are, what blinds us from seeing God in our lives? What blinds you and I from seeing God at work? Because he's at work all around us all the time. Do we have the eyes to be able to see him at work? And what enables us then to be able to see him in our lives? Everyone that we're, you're going to meet in this chapter in, in this chapter is blind. One in a literal sense, <clears throat> the blind man that gets healed. And then you see that the disciples were blind to the work of God. The crowd that witnessed this man's healing were blind. The Pharisees were blind. This man's parents who knew that their son had been, you know, born blind, he can now see they were also blind to what was going on. We want to dig this out a little bit. So how do we overcome spiritual blindness, so to speak? The song Amazing Grace, you know, in there is the line, I was blind, but now I see. That lyric comes from the chapter that we're going to read here um, in just a minute. So I want to begin in verse 1. I'm going to read the first five verses. It says this. It says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Keep that in your heart and mind. I am the light of the world, Jesus said. So what blinds us? What do we get from this, from seeing God? It's either or thinking. Either or thinking. If you're taking notes, it's either or thinking. The disciples saw this man blind from birth, and they said, okay, who sinned? Did this guy do this to deserve being blind, or did his parents do this for him to be blind? Either or thinking. It had to be one or the other to figure out and to, 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 to understand this guy's condition. 
Now, you may think you don't do that, but we do this all the time. We put God in this either-or thinking as well, past tense, so to speak. God, why did you let me make that business decision? God, why did you let me marry this person who you knew was going to betray me? God, why did you let me pick this, you know, career path or whatever I did? Why did you let me do that? Because if, if you would have been involved, if you would have stopped this, then I wouldn't have had to go through what I've gone through, either or thinking. And I think sometimes we do that in the sense of, of present tense too. Um, God, I really want this job. This is the right job. God, I really want to marry this person. This is the person. And it's what we're saying in that is, God, I'll only be happy if I get this job. God, I'll only be happy if I have this person. Again, it's, it's an either-or thinking where Jesus brings in a third option that we can apply to our lives to be able to see God better at work in our lives. Jesus comes in and says, it's neither one of those. This man didn't sin and his parents didn't sin. He was born blind so that you could see me today open his eyes in a miraculous way and God would get glory, this guy will get the joy and you realize who I am. That's the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God always has to be applied to every one of our situations. And it's good to tell God what you want. He wants you as a good father to ask him for the things that you want. But our responsibility is to believe no matter what, he knows what's best. There was a, a situation in my life years ago where I thought a certain ministry position, I wanted it so bad and it was time for this change and et cetera, et cetera. And all the dominoes seemed to fall and all of a sudden, at the very last minute, I had this deep impression that I wasn't supposed to take that ministry position. Thank God, in hindsight, that I did not do what, what I had wanted to do in that moment. So look in the past of your life. Where are those moments where you wanted something more than anything, and then when it didn't happen, you're actually thankful later? In the moment, you were bummed, right? It's like Garth Brooks. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers, Right? You want me to sing it for you? You know what song I'm talking about, right? Sometimes I thank God. Just kidding. Um, when you, you will have your eyes open, so to speak, when you see God, look for his third option. Look for his next option. And always pray as you bring your request to God, God, let your will be done. This is what I want, but more than anything, I want your will to be done. It goes on to in verse 6. After saying this, he spit on the ground, Jesus, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and he washed and he came home seeing. I'll talk about that in just a second. That's kind of odd, right? But have I told you we've been to Israel recently? kicking that dead horse as long as you laugh, it's going to keep coming. So um, the pool of Siloam was built by King Hezekiah. Again, the tunnel of fresh water to protect their water supply from their enemies ran through the pool of Siloam. They, they built this pool so that they would always have a large amount of water supply. That's like a drawing rendering of what it might have looked like um, back in the time of Jesus and in, in, you know, the, the Bible times. 
Um, when we were there, this next picture is when you find, hold this picture for a second. When you, when you go to Jerusalem or Israel, there is layer upon layer upon layer of history. And so the more they dig, the more they find. So that is actually the ruins of the Pool of Siloam. You can see the steps walking down into the pool. And this is, you know, the ruins that they found years ago. And they'll, they'll keep finding more and more things as they continue to dig. Here's me right there. I was taking a little swim in the Pool of Siloam. I thought you would appreciate that. Um, why, why mud? Why did Jesus spit into some mud and put it on the guy's eyes? I don't know. <laughs> but here's some possibilities. Adam was created out of the dust of the earth, right? You know, we are, are told, see the, the allegory throughout Scripture that God's the potter, we're the clay. So it could be that as well. Uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says that we have this treasure of the gospel and the Holy Spirit living inside us as jars of clay, this treasures in a jar of clay. Like these bodies that we have are fallen. They're, 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 they're outwardly we're perishing, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. So I don't fully know why, but those are some possibilities. All I know is if you want to be able to see God at work in your life, we got to do what this guy did, the blind man. What enables us to see God? Obedience. Obedience in the little things. This was a strange thing that Jesus asked this guy to do. But he did it. He did what Jesus had to do, and thus his miracle happened for him. Spiritual insight into, our, into God and God at work does not begin with perfect understanding. I think that's what a lot of people think. I don't know the Bible, and I don't know theology, and I don't know any of these things, so how can I really have insight? No, it starts by intending to do all that Jesus tells you to do. It's got to start from that posture. Otherwise, we're going to stay blind, so to speak. But when you do what he says to do, then you'll begin to know who he is more and more and more in your life. The first act of obedience is to trust him, that he knows what's best, that he's actually the savior, and that he's Lord, and therefore he gets to call the shots in our lives. <clears throat> I think some people, they stay blind, or they actually go blind, spiritually speaking, when we don't intend to do all that he says to do. If we're going to let him call the shots in just a quarter of our lives, half our lives, you're not going to be able to really see him at work. You'll, you'll stay blind. But if you make that decision and say, Lord, I intend to do everything that you say to do, you'll begin to see more and more. It goes on in verse 8. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. He's the first guy to say, I'm the man. Who's the man? I'm the man. You the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. I think what we see from here, what blinds us or keeps us spiritually blind is doubt. 
before you go too far on that, because we all have doubts, right? There, I think there's two kinds of doubts. Um, there is a, a healthy doubt, and a healthy doubt is, God, I don't know how you're going to work this out, but I, I could use a little assurance here that you're on the job here. God, do you see what's going on around me? Do you see my circumstances? That is a normal human response to life. And it's healthy. John the Baptist, right? He had a doubt after he had already called him the Lamb of God and the Savior and saw him and baptized him and the Holy Spirit descend like a dove. When he was in prison, he said, send his guys and he said, will you find out if he's this really, you really the guy, right? And so if John the Baptist maybe had a doubt, I think you should feel okay with doubt, but it's got to be that healthy kind. God, I don't know how you're going to work this out, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you as much as it hurts. I'm going to trust you. Unhealthy doubt is a refusal to believe. It's a refusal to trust God. I think there's two, two, two completely different things there. Sometimes we live in the dark because we don't believe that light is possible. You know, somebody might be in a, in a dark marriage right now. Darkness has settled in on your marriage. You can't see each other. You can't see God at work. I want to remind you of something. Jesus is the light of the world. You bring Jesus into your marriage, watch the lights go on. Maybe somebody else this morning is feeling like you're in a dark prison of guilt dark prison of shame. Maybe it's unforgiveness towards somebody that's hurt you. Jesus is the light of the world. And when you invite him in to every circumstance, watch the lights go on. He is the light of the world. Turn it over to Scott. Ladies and gentlemen, Scott Troutwine. Good morning. Yeah. So, so again, what we're looking at is what are some of those things that blind us and what are some of those things that enable us to see God work? Let's pick it up in verse 13 through 17. It says, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned to the blind man, what have you to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. And the man replied, he is a prophet. So we, we see this division in the religious leaders and the Pharisees at the time. For the most part, they weren't seeing a miracle of God. They really weren't experiencing the fact that God had just opened this man's eyes. What they really saw, for the most part, the driving force, was that he had broken a rule. He had done something on the Sabbath that he was not supposed to do. Now, the Sabbath is, as you know, I'm sure, the Sabbath was given to us by God for a day of rest, for a day of worship. But the Pharisees and the leaders, over time, by tradition, had, had really built a fence around the Mosaic law with um, layers upon layers upon layers of other rules, other things that had to be done. And, and the Pharisees in that day were the biggest supporters of this oral Torah. 
And that is one of the things that Jesus fought so hard against when he walked this earth. He healed this man on the Sabbath. Do you think that was a coincidence? Absolutely not. It was a statement that, that Jesus was saying, these, these rules, these laws that you're keeping, these external appearances of religious, religiosity and righteousness aren't the same as that internal seeking of his face and seeking to see God working and being thrilled when he works. One of the things that had been lost was the fact that the Sabbath really was given to man. It wasn't a, a list of rules. It was the day of rest and worship. There's something that when we become believers, there's things that really we, we do, right? I call them the, uh, spiritual disciplines. We read the Word. We pray. We meditate. We, we come into assemblies together and we, we break bread together. I, those are spiritual disciplines that we need to be involved in because they're for our growth. But listen, listen, if they become just those external things that we're checking boxes, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, then we've lost our way. What they are supposed to do is allow, allow our hearts and our spirits and our soul to open up as a canvas for our Heavenly Father. So that he could paint the picture of his will, his direction, his purpose in our lives. They're not just things we're supposed to do. They're things we're supposed to be experiencing so that then he can write his purpose in our life. Does that make sense? We abide in him. We press into him. I, I heard Pastor Scott say more than once that rules without relationship equal what? Rebellion. We don't want rules. We want a relationship. So we want to abide and push into him because one of the things that blind us from seeing him are man-made rules. So don't let those man-made rules blind you from seeing him work. So let's look at verse 18 through 23. It says, they still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. Now, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already acknowledged that um, anyone who, excuse me, had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So what's another thing that blinds us from seeing God? It's the fear of man. And, and this is one that we've all experienced, I'm positive, for, to, to one extent or the other. See, Jesus had already revealed himself as the Messiah to, at this point. People knew that he was the Messiah. He said that he was the Messiah. The woman at the well who, who said in John 4, she said, I know the Messiah is coming. Jesus said, I, the one speaking to you, am he. And in John 12, 42, we read that many of the authorities believed that he was the Messiah, but for fear they did not confess it because they didn't want to be thrown out of the synagogue. They didn't want their life turned upside down. 
How many times have I, how many times have you deflected or denied or hesitated sharing our life of faith with those around us for fear, worrying more about what man thinks than honoring God, worrying more about what man thinks than being an ambassador for his kingdom? <clears throat> this will date me, so don't, don't take it too long here, okay? <laughs> but back in the early 80s, I was a young man. And I was working in a, in a corporate headquarters of a 126-chain grocery store called Ralph's Grocery Company in Los Angeles, California. <clears throat> I was a middle manager. I was over two departments, but this was my career. I saw this as this was my, my career. It ended up not being, but that's what I saw. This was my kingdom, and I wanted to build that. I wanted to get to higher management and maybe even C-level suites, okay? So I was very timid in my faith. I look back on it, and, and, and what I see is I was like that teenager who's embarrassed of his father and doesn't want to introduce him to his friends. You know what I'm talking about? Does that make sense? So career, a career advancement is one of those things that can, can cause us to fear man. Popularity, status, society structures. Let's, let's not let the fear of man blind us from seeing him work. So, Lord God, make me bold. Lord God, make us as a church bold. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, verse 24 through 34, it says, A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. In other words, quit lying. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. And he replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. So then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I told you already and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Boom. He slapped him right in the face, right? Do you want to become his disciples too? So then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this man's, uh, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now, that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. And we know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Another thing, so we've seen a couple things that, that blind us, doubt, fear. This is something that enables us to see God, seeing him in my circumstances. So these, these religious leaders told this man, you're steeped in sin and you're going to lecture us? So he wasn't just blind, but his stigma in life was you were born in sin. That was his circumstance. And, and Scripture does not tell us how he handled his circumstances how that worked in his life. But we do see Jesus saying, and, and Scott read it earlier in John 9, 3, but this, this blindness happened so that what? The work of God might be displayed in his life. Do we have circumstances in our lives that we don't understand? Maybe our lives have, have been detoured, derailed, 
the, the plan, the purpose, the goal that we knew was going to happen didn't happen. Or maybe we're pursuing a goal or a dream or even a ministry opportunity and the door was shut and now we, we don't know what to do and we're a bit perplexed. I wasn't going to share this, but I, I'm going to take a minute and share this. Um, many of you know my story, but five years ago, I was in a situation like this. I knew this door of ministry was going to open. There was not a doubt in my mind. I'd known for years that this was my spot, and now the time was there. The door was getting ready to open. It didn't open for me. Boom. It rocked my world. It derailed my train. And I know there's circumstances in your lives as well that your world has been rocked. Your train got derailed. And you feel helpless and you don't know what to do. But listen, let me tell you. It doesn't matter how helpless that you feel or that we feel in those moments. We are never truly helpless. We are never alone. And listen, it's never a surprise to God. In fact, it's at these moments that we can dig deeper into trusting him, surrendering our lives, surrendering our kingdom to his sovereignty, to his faithfulness, to his power, to his love. I'm not going to say it happened quick in my life because it didn't. And it might not happen quick in years either. But you would need to surrender that to him. Hebrews 12, 2 has always been one of my go-to verses. It says, let us run the race with perseverance, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Who what? For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Consider him so you don't grow weary in well-doing. Now, come with me for a moment. And no, I haven't been to Israel. But come with me for a moment to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is praying. He's overwhelmed with sorrow. The Gospel of Mark says to the point of death. Can you imagine that? To the point of death. And he's saying, Father, take this cup from me. Please take this cup from me. I know, Lord, that you can do anything. Everything is possible for you, Father. Take this cup from me. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? I know I have. But the next statement in that was, Father, not my will, not my kingdom, but your will. Let your will be done. And, and he surrendered to the Father his will. And again, he looked at the joy that was on the other side of the pain and suffering. That joy was you and me. He reconciled us to the Father. But in order to do that, there was that pain and suffering he had to go through. Let's look at verse 35 through 38. It says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Another thing that enables us to see him is trusting in Jesus in my life, trusting Jesus with my life. If we trust him, we surrender our life and trust him. You see, the authorities had thrown him out, right? They'd thrown him out of the synagogue. They'd excluded him from his society. His parents had practically abandoned him. But then it says Jesus went and what? Found him. Jesus went and found him. And then 
instead of that man looking into the angry eyes of the Pharisees and the rulers who had thrown him out, he looked into the loving eyes of his healer, of his deliverer, of the Messiah, of his Savior. And this, Jesus asked him this simple question, do you believe in the Son of Man? His statement was, or his answer was, who is he, sir? I love that. He already believed. He just didn't know who to believe. Who is he, sir, that I may believe on him? We may find at times that we're lonely or we're alone. But let me say this. Trusting him with our lives makes perfect sense, and we're able to see him clearly. Scott? Scott squared. Scott, thank you very much. Um, pick it up in verse 39. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what? Are we blind too? Jesus said, Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. What enables us to see is keeping my eyes on Jesus, trusting him with our life, as Scott just said, but then keeping your eyes on Jesus. These Pharisees remained blind to Jesus because they refused to acknowledge who he was. They refused to acknowledge who he was. And I know the first 25 years of my life, I refused to acknowledge who Jesus was. And my life has been very imperfect and messy since the day that I became a follower of Jesus. But I know where my eyes are. And I know keeping my eyes on him keeps us going in the direction that he wants for us. We're told to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Um, I think it was last weekend, we were walking down Blake Street towards Coors Field, and there's a whole crowd of people, and on this one little sidewalk, everybody's walking, and, and there's uh, about every 12 feet, a parking meter, right? 12 feet parking meter. And I, I watched this guy try to get ahead of the crowd, and so he walks over and he starts kind of dodging the parking meters because I'm walking right behind him doing the same thing. And, and he's, he's trying to dodge the parking meters. And he looks over and he starts talking to his wife. And you, you, you're guessing right. He turned and he caught himself literally six inches. And it made me think of a time when I was a little boy. We were on vacation in Arizona. And we were walking down a street. And I remember looking to my left and I was like teasing my family, making fun of my family. And I went... Boom, I ran right into a mailbox and it about knocked me out. The point of that is we got to keep our eyes forward. It's easy to look to the left and to the right and then our eyes aren't on the Lord and what he has for us. So he wants us to walk in the light as he's in the light. He's the light of the world. Would you stand with me? We're going to go into to communion. And before we do, I want to corporately pray a prayer together. There's going to be a prayer that comes up on the screen. And what I've done is I took Ephesians chapter 1, 18 through uh, 21, and we, I personalized it. 
so that we can say it. Pray this personally to God. And so this morning, if, if you've never put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, today's the day. Jesus came into this world, lived a perfect life. He died a brutal death to pay for our sins. And he rose from the grave showing that the Father had accepted that sacrifice. For God so loved you and I, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes will not perish. Belief is not just a head knowledge or, or a feeling. It's also a lifestyle. It's, Lord, I believe I want you in every area of my life. I give the keys of my life over to you. You drive. I'll follow. So let's pray this together. Lord, I pray that the eyes of my heart may be enlightened in order that I may know the hope to which you have called me the riches of your glorious inheritance in your holy people and your incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength you exerted when you raised Christ from the dead and seated him at your right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Help me to keep my eyes on you, Lord. Amen.